Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the no-fluff, actionable marketing podcast for people sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you'll learn how to launch products specifically targeted at younger generations, specifically Gen Z. So my guest today is a best-selling author, a professional speaker. She's the founder of an award-winning marketing research studio called Bixar Research. Uh, she worked with Google, Capital One, IBM, plenty of very famous brands, and she knows her stuff. And yeah, she wrote a book recently around how to market to Gen Z customers in particular. So we're going to define all of that together and talk about how to launch products to them specifically. Sarah Wise, super happy to have you on board. Thank you so much for having me. We were talking before inter uh, starting this, this, this episode and, and I told you that I will ask you some question around. I'll try to challenge you a bit on Gen Z, the definition and all of that. People listening to this podcast for a long time know that I like to do that at the start. It doesn't, uh, it's not against you or, or your work that is uh, very well known. And as you said, award-winning, best-selling author, all of that is just to try to understand the concept a bit more. I just want to read something to you briefly. That Ryan Wallman, who's a famous copywriter who likes to challenge things a bit and kind of says around millennials and the way millennials and marketers, the relationship between the two. So a few lines. It's very witty. I like, I like his say. He says, um, millennials like stuff and they don't like other stuff. All millennials like exactly the same stuff. They are completely different from every other generation in that they were born at a different time. Uh, millennials won't persist with anything that doesn't keep them interested. Uh, millennials have experiences, et cetera, et cetera. So he's making all of this generality to fight against the fact that a lot of marketers are obsessed over you know, specific generation and, and like to grow things together. And I think the same thing is kind of happening with Gen Z a bit where, you know, we tend to generalize to the point where, you know, it's like the everyone born in November have the same personality and all of that. So I wanted to challenge you a bit on this. But before that, just maybe let's describe, uh, define what Gen Z is, what is the, the age gap, uh, the years they were born and all of that, please. Well, I might have to look up the years, but they're about 13 to 26 today. So I guess they were born between, I'm looking it up right now. They were born between... 1995 and 2006. So they're about 13 to 25, 26 right now. And the people who are younger than that are actually in a new generation called Gen Alpha. So not a lot of people know that term. And uh, they're actually, you you were talking a, a bit about millennials. Gen Alpha were, were, are kind, were sort of on track to be much more similar to millennials than to Gen Z. What they were raised at a time of a boom. They have slightly different parenting styles, like more similar to millennial parenting styles. It was just, it's just really interesting that they were on track and then COVID happened and everything changed. And I actually am doing some research on Gen Alpha right now because I am fascinated by how this new generation is going to react to this massive change, life-altering change, really, where they're no longer going to school in person, and they're no longer seeing their friends, and their parents are losing jobs and taking pay cuts and being furloughed, and their whole world has kind of come crashing down. And this is a, a very defining moment in their or in their childhood. So I, I'm interested in yeah. that. So when you were describing millennials being a little different than everybody else and they like what they like and that kind of thing it made me think of oh that was sort of gen alpha like two months ago three months ago <laughs> 
It's true that there are massive systemic changes uh, that touch everyone. And it's as a marketer, super important to understand them, understand the impact that it has on people. So what do you say to, what do you say to this, to the point of, you know, can we really generalize and group all of the people who are born you know, between specific years to, you know, to something that like basically putting them together, they all have similarities. Is I think it, that is it a shortcut? What do you think? I think it? most you can generalize most of them. You can never generalize something for every single person born in a generation. And that's actually why I had to look up the years because I'm not one of those people who are like, oh yes, you were born in 1995. You must be a Gen Z or or something like that. I mean, even myself, I'm in the I'm at the tail end of millennials being 37. And but I was actually raised in a home without high speed internet. So my behavior is actually more similar to Gen X. So I'm in this little micro generation called the Oregon Trail generation. And you you may not know Oregon Trail. Do you know Oregon Trail? Because no, you were not born it. in the never United States, it. right? <laughs> so it's called the Oregon Trail generation for at least the Americans uh, because they were when we were in school, all the schools in the United States had this video had well not a video game, a computer game on like the old big computers, and it was on the big flappy drives, and it was Oregon Trail. It was called Oregon Trail, and it was literally a little guy marching across the United States to like settle settle westward, <laughs> and everybody died of dysentery. You had to shoot squirrels to eat. Um, it was kind of a very morbid game, but all the schools in the United States at that time had everybody playing it. So we call this little right. generation who remembers the Oregon Trail computer game in schools, the Oregon Trail generation. It's like a little micro generation, at least for the Americans. Yeah, I had, I had never heard of it. Thanks for that. So the, the other thing I wanted to, to ask you about a bit is, you know, when you Google stuff around like different generations or marketers, you can find images that summarizes everything to like into a table where you have like the different generation, like millennials, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, whatever. And then they, they, they share like the music they like. So uh, apparently Gen Z, they like Taylor Swift and whatever, and millennials like Eminem and whatever, what boomers like, you know, so they make all of those generalities to the point where, you know, as if we're all robots liking the same stuff. And, and my biggest pet peeves with this, and I know you practice like market research, uh, UX research, you know how to interview customers, you do that for a living. So I know that you go deeper than this, but my biggest pet peeves around those is that we kind of round off the edges or we give marketers an, an excuse to use shortcut instead of actually doing the work you do, which is going deep into interviewing customers. And so like, oh, let's, let, there's no point talking to people and understanding what they want, what they desire, the objections they have, because we understand them, you know, we, we know the music they like and whatnot. So I mean, I'm answering my own question here because I know that the service you provide and that's what we're going to go through together. But that's kind of the biggest issue that I have around this generalization is, is an excuse to be lazy as a marketer. I don't think it's an excuse to be lazy. I think it's a good starting point because Gen Z is very a very different customer than millennials on average. And so and there was, that was it's because of a number of different things that happened when they were growing up. There was a sh massive shift in parenting styles. When you think about millennials being raised, and again, this is not for everybody, but the majority of millennials were raised by 
parents who kind of did everything for their kids. They were called like tiger parents or helicopter parents. And I'm sure you've heard those terms. But with the with Generation Z being in front of a screen the whole time, like as they were growing up, their parents didn't really do things for them. They taught them how to do things for themselves using the internet. So it was a very different type of parenting style. So instead of tiger parents, we get tech parents. And they also... So this created sort of a generation of people who are more independent than, say, millennials, but also their parents scared them shitless about everything that could go wrong online, like everything from online predators to identity theft and everything in between. So this also results in a generation who's slightly more risk averse. They also were grown, they really grew up in a different world than millennials. We talked about how millennials grew up in a time of a boom, but Gen Z grew up in a time of hardship, in a time of a recession. They were born after 9-11. They never knew a time without war. They saw their parents, you know, lose jobs and take pay cuts. They're hungry for work. They have a different work ethic. They also are, on average, choosing jobs that pay more than choosing jobs that maybe meet their passions, that they're super passionate about, which as you'll see, you know, when you look at millennials and you see all like the social impact that they want to do and stuff like that, it just until this, you know, until very recently, we haven't seen that at all in Gen Z. We've seen them talk a big game, but very little action. So yeah, I like what you said about it being a, a starting point, it's right? Starting and point. when you do, yeah, that's all it is. When you do customer research, then you will absolutely find segments of people inside this generation that don't fit at all what you're describing. I mean, obviously, there are there are, there are parents that raise kids differently. You might be they might be in a country where hardship wasn't as as much or where they weren't that uh, exposed to, let's say, the U.S. economy or the wars that were going on. I mean, there's so many differences, but I agree that there are similarities and it's a good starting point. Uh, but it's it can't be the only thing you do as a marketer, no. right? It can't just be <laughs> looking at generalization and say, this is my job is no, done, No, but right? I will say for the book that I wrote, I mean, we interviewed and did ethnographic research with thousands of Gen Z participants. And we did this research both in the United States and in India. We did not do research, ethnographic and in-person interviews in Europe, for example. So I may it may be underrepresented. Yeah, I mean, that that was a, a consequence of all the, the contracts I had that were coming in that said, hey, will you do this research? <laughs> but we have talked to thousands and thousands of Gen Zers. We have done both qualitative studies, quantitative studies. We did one study where eight times a day, thousands of kids across the United States texted us and we were asking them questions about, hey, what were you just looking for? What information were you looking for? How did you go about finding it? And from they got random texts eight times a day asking them that and they would text right back and we'd ask them questions about it. So from that study alone, we ended up with something like 30,000 pieces of data, <laughs> you know, little data pieces. And we had to go through and analyze them and and really find the the trends that happened. Yeah, th this is phenomenal work. And again, that's why I was I wanted to challenge you at the start because I know your methodology. I know I know that you're a UX expert, and I know that you would just make or search for commonalities without a proper data, a data set. So 
your data, your insights are, are, are grounded in research. That's awesome to hear. So you, you started to mention a few things at the start, uh, a, a few hints, insights that you've gathered through through this research. Maybe before we go through, like you know, the type. If you if you were to launch a product to this to a group that fit kind of the Gen Z generation, how we would go it uh, go about it. But perhaps you can share maybe two or three other key insights that you've learned through through your research on who does. Uh, Gen Z people are. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about shifting in par- shift in parenting styles. We talked about how they were raised in a time of hardship. We talked about how they were hungry for work and side gig savvy. A lot of them are super entrepreneurial. A lot of Gen Zs are super entrepreneurial. They are starting their own businesses. They are not waiting until they graduate to do it. They are just getting out there and they're learning about things. They're the best way to be an entrepreneur, I feel like, is sometimes just Googling stuff and figuring it out. And that's what they're doing. Um, they're really teaching themselves how to do it and how to start businesses and making money. They're very focused on money as a whole, much more so than millennials. They want to make money. They love making money. We even see this when we recruit participants for Gen Z studies, whereas when we recruit millennials, we'll, let, we'll say, oh, okay, it's $100 to participate in this interview. And they'll be like, great, thanks. And when we recruit Gen Z, we'll be like, it's $100 to participate in this interview. And they'll say, okay, but what if I bring a friend? Can I get a little bit extra? Can I do I get a referral bonus? Or, oh, what if I did a little bit longer? What if I, I'm on the interview for like an hour and a half instead of an hour? Can you pay me more for that? Like, and they're, they're negotiating with us, which we just, we've, I've never seen that with someone in a different generation, even just to, to pay them for a research study. We also- Where do you think that's coming from? I think a lot of it is being raised in a time of recession. I think they're they're money focused. They um, they saw parents, they saw their family struggle when they were young, and they learned through watching family members and friends that they're it's tough. It's tough without money. And they also have seen their older siblings and older friends emerge from college saddled with debt. They don't want to be like that. They're saving for college. We actually see the average age of opening a checking account to be much lower than millennials. It's about 13 years old. Now, they've probably never actually been inside a bank, but (laughs) like actually walked through the doors of a bank. But they are opening checking accounts and saving at a much earlier age than uh, millennials did. Um, they They also, what we see, one thing we see is that they have significantly shorter attention spans. And I believe that is from being bombarded by visual inputs scrolling across a screen from the time that they were very young. This is a a group that literally grew up teething on their parents' cell phones. And they just have seen images and screens in front of their face 24-7 for years. And so whereas millennials could juggle about three screens at a time, so they could be, say, playing a video game, reading a Reddit thread and texting a group of friends, Gen Z can do this with five screens at a time. So they can be, you know, watching that video game, reading a Reddit thread, texting one group of friends, having another conversation with another group of friends on a headset and watching a sports game all at the same time and keeping it all straight in their short-term memory. So their brains have physically rewired to process more information faster. And I think that's a consequence of adaptation that has happened because they have been 
bombarded by images. Their attention span, because they're juggling so much information, though, their attention span has decreased. Millennials had about a 12-second attention span, and Gen Z has about an eight-second attention span. So if you've ever had a conversation with a teenager and you get frustrated because they are on their phone and you don't think they're listening to you, they probably are listening to you. Um, it's just that they're juggling multiple different things and they've got a lot going on in their head. And that's sort of their default. Is that not down to the fact that they have like younger brains? Because it's difficult because you compare, obviously by the, the, the way we segment those people based mm -hmm. on their age, we compare, we can't compare like for like. It would be interesting to know whether there were studies done for millennials when they were the same age. There have, been, the there have okay. been studies done on that and it's not the same. Their brains are different. Like they're actual, they have rewired. They're physically different. They're physically different. Yes. Is that a fact? Yes. I have a study. You can put it in your show notes. <laughs> cool. No, no, I, 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 like, I like to understand that. But when we talk about rewiring, we are obviously not talking about the fucking biotechnology uh, or anything crazy no, happening. No, they're like, their actual brains have yeah, yeah, yeah. rewired. But my, point, yes. my point is, uh, like when we say rewired, is it is it is a part of the brain more developed or like what's the, the phenomenal uh, the phenomenon behind it, like in the, in the brain itself, do you know? I don't know the actual scientific part, the, you know, what's the actual science that's going on, but from reading the results, the, the capacity to store, store and juggle more in their short-term memory has increased. So there's no such thing as multitasking. You're like flexing your attention. It's more like multi-flexing. You're flexing your attention from one thing to the next. And what's happening is that they are able to switch context much quicker and juggle more in and hold it all in their short-term memory with a greater capacity. That's where I wanted to go. That's perfect. That's a perfect answer. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? So the part of the brain that is re responsible for hold holding short-term information, they've trained it so much from a very young age, then they tend to be able to uh, to switch context much faster and to have more context to, to handle. As you said, three versus five screens. So that's super interesting, right? And that's something that we need to absolutely get into our brain as marketers uh, for younger generations that to keep and hold their attention is going to be yeah, tricky. And yeah? so, I mean, one thing that marketers need to know is that's the kind of thing they need to know. And it's, it is a generalization. It may not be the same for everybody, but they need to know that their hooks need to be on point and that they, they have less time than they did for other generations to capture attention. Yeah, I mean the clutter is there. Every every single day, there's more data being produced than the day before. There's more and more ads, more and more messages being sent to you, more and more brands. The, the barriers to entry for anything is super low. Anyone can start a business in an hour or less with a laptop and an internet connection. I mean, we are bombarded with things, and so in in general, anyway, with whatever the generation, we are exposed to more things than we were exposed to 10, 20, 50 years ago. But this generation in particular is particularly impacted. Yeah, and I mean, one age. thing that's happening is that because there's this constant waterfall of content, they're making decisive snap judgments about what they're interested in. But they have this superpower where once they decide what they're interested in, they can deep dive into the content and they can really block out all distractions and just focus on that one thing, like hyper focus on that one thing for hours, weeks, even at a time, just 
focusing on that. So I have this this story about this girl that I interviewed. She was scrolling through Instagram one day and she came across an image of a pet hedgehog. And she decided right there in that second, she's 13 years old. She decided, um, okay, I'm, I want to have a pet hedgehog. So she goes to her mother and she says, hey, mom, can we get a pet hedgehog? And her mother says, no, absolutely not. We can't get a pet hedgehog. They're wild animals and aren't they nocturnal and they're going to sleep all day. They're, not, they're pokey. This is not a good pet. And so she being the 13-year-old Gen Zer that she is goes back to her computer and her phone probably. And she starts researching everything there is to know about hedgehogs. And for a week, she does in every moment of her spare time, she watches videos on hedgehogs. She looks up every photo she can. She makes collections of hedgehogs. She's on TikTok looking at looking at hedgehogs floating in bathtubs and seeing little inner tubes and seeing how cute they are. So when it comes to a week later and she goes to her mother and says, hey, mom, can we have a pet hedgehog? She has responses to every argument that her mother throws out. And so finally, her mother gets worn down and says, "Okay, fine. How much is it to to buy your pet hedgehog? And she says, well, it's five hundred dollars and blah, blah, blah. The the hedgehog and the cage and the food and everything. And so she says, uh, the mother says, "Okay, great. If you can make five hundred dollars, you can buy yourself a pet hedgehog, thinking that that's the end of it. But this girl is persistent. She is a persistent entrepreneurial Gen Zer, and she goes goes back to YouTube and she starts typing how to make money from home. And she finds slime making. And so she says, oh, I want to make slime. I'm going to go sell slime. Well, her mother has essential oils around the house. So she doesn't just make slime. She makes luxury slime like eucalyptus lavender slime or orange spice slime or, you know, different sense of slime and she packages it beautifully and she takes it down to the convenience store across from the middle school and she says um she says hey will you stock my slime and of course they say no <laughs> but she goes back every day and is persistent again <laughs> until the manager says fine i will stock your slime but if it doesn't sell like we're done well a few weeks later she has more than enough money to buy her pet hedgehog. She realizes how much money she's making selling this slime. She starts selling it on Instagram. She doesn't even have a, a website and she's selling this slime on Instagram. And now she has her pet hedgehog. And on top of selling slime and having a booming slime business, her pet hedgehog is now paid and sponsored. So she's making money on the pet hedgehog too. So this yeah. is just, I, I love this story because it talks about it, it kind of captures all of the essence of Gen Z, how they're entrepreneurial, they're hardworking, they're persistent, they're diligent, they make these snap judgments, but then they deep dive into the content, all, all, all of that stuff. Yeah, that's quite fascinating. That's a very good story. Thanks for sharing it. And again, remind me what, what age they are. They're between 13 and 25. Is that it? Yes, about that. Okay. 25, 26. Okay, so let's... Really, it's behaved, again, it's be based on behavior, not necessarily the uh -huh. exact age ranges. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is the, the, the right the, the right point to make. It's not just arbitrary age, age group. It, it's more about the behavior behind it. So, yeah, and the shared experiences that they had as they were growing up. Right. Okay, so we have a few minutes to go through an interesting exercise, I would say. So let's let's forget that you have this this research business, but let's not forget all the knowledge you've, you've gathered about this particular generation. Let's say for the sake of the argument that we are selling something specifically or quite close to, to like for those for those folks, right? That they are between 13 and 25, roughly. That's the bulk of our business. I don't know if we need to come up with a product or fake product or service. Maybe you can come up with one, but let's say, let's say this is your plan. Let's say you have a product that you want to sell to them. I want to know from your perspective, based on 
all the research you've made, how would you go about launching a new product to them? And again, you can pick a random product if you have an idea already, something that you've already thought about or whatever. But let's let's go through it and try to have a step-by-step that, to help people a bit. Sure. So, I mean, the first thing I would do is figure out who I'm selling to and what their problems are, right? So, I mean, from a research point, <laughs> that, that's the first step. You have to understand... You can't just make a product and then hope that you can push it to some random market, right? So you have to really understand the audience and know that they've got an, a problem they need solved. But other, th- but aside from that, I would start by looking at some of the key trends that this generation responds to in terms of marketing. So one of the things that they respond to really highly is something about learning. They love to learn. And we did this study where we had... Um, Half of the participants, they uh, binged on Netflix for three hours. And then we talked to them about like, oh, how do you feel now? And then we did the same thing where we had participants binge on YouTube content for three hours and, and talk to them about, oh, how do you feel now? And the people who who binged on Netflix, they told us things like, oh, I feel like I, I wasted my time. I feel guilty for you know, indulging in entertainment for those last three hours. And I could have used my time better. But the people who watched YouTube for three hours, which, you know, is like an average Tuesday for Gen Z, um, they said things like, oh, I learned a lot. I feel like I learned. And it may not have been academic content they were they were learning. They may have been learning how to like beat the next level in the video game they were playing, or they may have been learning how to how to do uh, James Charles rainbow eyes with makeup, or they could have been learning how to um, take care of a pet hedgehog. Uh, whatever it was, though, they felt good about the fact that they had spent their time learning something new, whereas the people who were watching entertainment just for the sake of entertainment, they felt like they were, they, it brought about feelings of guilt. But that would be the case for every generation, I suppose, no? No, um, it's not. So for millennials, millennials need pure entertainment to relax. And that's why mm-hmm. you see Netflix being so prominent for millennials, they love it. <laughs> they love those kind of streaming services that they can just sit back and relax and binge on some content and then feel like they've they've recharged in some way. So, okay. so Gen Z, different. how do they reach out then differently? They they recharge by learning. They recharge by learning. It's a it's a different. They're constantly sucking up knowledge. Interesting. Okay, so so to go back to your first pay, step, which is defining the problem, we've talked about that many many times in the in, in the podcast, how to interview people. So I'm yeah. not going to cover that too much with you. Let's assume, for the sake of the argument, that we have a well defined problem. Mm-hmm. We are looking at a solution. So you started to talk about trends, and I cut you there, but talking about trends and the fact that yeah, they love learning. Okay, so what would you do with this information, for example? Yeah. So then I'd look at what platforms they were on. I'd look at what platforms they were going to. And they, Gen Z is very clear on where to post and look for content. They are really discerning curators compared to millennials who maybe post the same thing in 10 different places. Gen Z really uh, believes that different platforms are for different types of content. So I, I'd look at that too. So for example, like Instagram is for random inspiration or, or kind of slice of life content, whereas like Pinterest is for very specific ins- information. So if you were going, if somebody's like, oh, I want to be inspired in the realm of cake decorating, you would look at Pinterest instead of Instagram. Twitter is for professional announcements, possibly even news. <laughs> if, if 
They do read news. Some of them do. So a certain percentage. Uh, Google is really for discrete facts or homework <laughs> questions. They actually spend as little time searching as possible on Google. Like if they can find the answer in an answer box, that's great. They don't like digging into articles. They don't like reading the articles. They would much rather watch a YouTube video on it. And that's sort of where YouTube and the DIY and the learning comes in. That's more of what YouTube is for. That's more of a primary search engine when they want to find figure something out. And then we've got TikTok for just pure entertainment. I actually think that TikTok was sort of like what Snapchat was maybe seven years ago, where they're on it just because their parents don't get it. And now that now that their parents are starting to get on TikTok, they've like jumped ship and are now on Triller and some others where they're, yeah, it's just, um, it's funny. The cycle so anyway, of life. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then Snapchat's more, I mean, it's dwindling for sure, but that's still for communicating with their friends for random funny videos or behind the scenes for the influencers they follow. So if an influencer is is creating some sort of content, you know, James Charles is, is doing some sort of makeup video or something like that for YouTube or for Instagram, he might post some behind the scenes footage on Snapchat. So they definitely want to follow that there. Um, Whereas Snapchat is for sort of random communications with their friends, a text message and, and iMessage okay. specifically is for more urgent communication. And then Facebook, it's sweet, really. It's for parents, maybe yeah, older siblings. <laughs> yeah, it's, and then LinkedIn, it's, it's, LinkedIn. Oh, that's the one that we miss. Uh, yeah, LinkedIn, we didn't even mention because they're not on it. They all have accounts. They're required by schools to create accounts, especially in colleges. But they hate it. It feels intimidating to them. LinkedIn is not serving their Gen Z audience well right now. Okay. So let's say, let's just pick a random product. You probably have a better idea. Let's sure. just pick something that is popular to Gen Z just right now. Like anything. Um, let's talk about um, some sort of ASMR. That's a, that's a big one right now. What's um, that? It's uh, auditory. Let me look, at, look up the actual acronym. ASMR. It's actually, the, it's actually probably the biggest YouTube trend that you've never heard of if you're not in uh -huh. the Gen Z, <laughs> Gen yeah, Z generation. So it's autonomous sensory meridian response. So this is a YouTube sensation where they are watching videos with calming voices, calming music, maybe the dulcet tones of, of Bob Ross or, you know, the, the painter Bob Ross, he speaks in very mm -hmm. low, dulcet tones about his paintings. And yeah, now we're going to we're going to paint with some Prussian blue now. And um, anyway, they they listen to this. They have visual sensations and it actually stimulates a very calming, a calming response in their system. So there are definitely and, and when you look at the searches of this generation and ASMR versus basically any other search term, like if you look at the search volume of ASMR compared to say like candy or chocolate or Kylie Jenner mm -hmm. or anybody else, it's off the charts. They're searching for this way more. They're also always, almost always searching for this on a phone because they use it right around the time they go to bed at night. A lot of them okay. listen to the dulcet tones. So companies now are creating ASMR products to yeah. talk with them. Um, so this one, one right? company, yeah, this one company I just talked to last week, um, it's a manufacturing company of all things. And they like some a company that you wouldn't expect would be marketing to Gen Z. Um, 
but they are actually, they know that Gen Z is entering the workforce and they are going to be their employees and their partners and their buyers. And so what they're doing is creating a whole ASMR YouTube channel called Go to Bed with Ed. And Ed is a technical engineer that works for this manufacturing company, and he reads technical manuals to put people to sleep. <laughs> it's right. hysterical. And so companies are are doing this sort of outreach now. And even like beads, they're selling products like beads that people can play with to induce a calming sensation while they're creating their ASMR videos and things like that. Okay, so let's say we sell, actually, we sell a product that 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 helps you to calm down like uh, music and stuff like that. There's, a, there's one called Brain FM that is pretty popular to, to focus on whatnot. So let's say that's what we sell. Knowing what you know about the social media, uh, where they spend that time and, and whatnot, how would you go about you know finding people to buy your stuff, especially the, the one in Gen Z? Well, f- let's say you sell that. I would go to the platform that they're using to find that information and specifically that information they look for on YouTube. So I would go to YouTube and I'd probably run some YouTube ads on similar videos and see if that works. I mean, you've got to know your customer though. You've got to do your interviews. And I I feel like sometimes the people say, oh, what are the best resources for, for conducting these kind of interviews or learning about your customers? And sometimes the resources are the most simple things like picking up the phone and calling some of your customers, Um, actually making phone calls and having a conversation that's not a scripted interview. That's just a genuine conversation about, oh, how do you go to bed at night? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your journey. But do Gen Zers, uh, do they actually answer the phone? (laughs) You have to text them first, but yes, they do. They can you FaceTime. They FaceTime really easily, especially the those in the United States. Eighty four percent of them have an iPhone. All right. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, I, I like your point about interviews, which is a point that we make on the podcast almost every episode. So I'm glad that you mentioned that, even though we talk about a controversial topic that some actors don't like about this this putting people in in buckets like that. But I think it's it's you're backing it up with very strong data and argument. So and I think that a lot of a lot of times I've seen especially small companies you're talking about launching to this audience. Small companies they're like, "Oh, well, I'm just going to use the same tactics I used for millennials and I'm just going to, you know, run a whole bunch of of Google ads and then I'll I'll use trial and error and figure it out." But I've seen all of these companies waste tens of thousands of dollars doing this because they just didn't do their upfront research. Just a few phone calls, you know, calling 20 of their customers would have saved them tens of thousands of dollars in the long run doing this in ad waste, basically trying to figure out the right keywords. So they would have known that, for example, they, they, they didn't search on Google on Google for, for that, that they would probably turn to YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or they might know they're not searching for the word meditation. They're searching for the word ASMR. So the keyword might just be very different. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I like that you're mentioning this. So so besides besides the biggest mistakes of not knowing where they spend their time and how they search for information, what other big, big mistakes have you seen companies do when it comes to launching a new product specifically to this generation? I think they they launch they expect that this generation is all on Instagram and they're like, oh, let's just run Instagram ads. 
Let's do that. They're and not, they might right? even not talk all to them. them. They might even talk to them and say, oh, how many hours a day do you, you know, they ask biased questions like how many hours a day do you spend on Instagram? Oh, good. You spend a lot of time on Instagram, but they may be on Instagram not looking for the products that you're trying to to sell. They may be on YouTube or somewhere else looking for those kind of products. So when it comes to actually finding people who show some sort of intent, based on the research you've done, the intent is usually happening on YouTube, less on Google, as you mentioned. Is there any other places where they show, where, where they have like very specific needs? You mentioned Pinterest, right? Where they probably go there yeah. to find specific information. So maybe we should advertise there as well then. Yeah, it's possible. I actually thought Pinterest was dying until I started to interview Gen Zs and they all use it. <laughs> so Yeah, I love yeah. that. I love that. But, but this is the point that we're making on this podcast so, so many times, which is you can't make assumptions. And yeah, you would have asked me, is Pinterest growing? Are, are people under 25 using it? I would have said no, because I have no fucking clue. I have, haven't interviewed people in this uh, for this particular purpose. So that's, that's nice. So knowing where they hang out, knowing where they search for information, absolutely critical. So do talk to people, whoever they are, FaceTime them, text them, right? Yeah. And then also knowing the who they follow on all of these platforms, too. That's a yeah. huge part of this, because Why? If, if I could boil it down to one key difference between millennials and Gen Z, it would be the question they ask themselves when they go to find information. So millennials will say, what do I want to know? They'll think about it. They'll figure it out and then they'll Google it or they'll look at a YouTube or they'll go down a rabbit hole and they'll start start getting information on whatever topic it is. Gen Z doesn't ask, what do I want to know? They ask, what should I want to know? And so instead of just creatively thinking about what they want to know, they scroll. And this is why you see teens and young adults scrolling for hours and hours and hours, completely bored out of their minds, scrolling because they are waiting for inspiration to strike. They are relying on the creators they follow. They're relying on the influencers that feed them information. They're relying on the algorithms in all of these platforms to tell them what they should be interested in. So in, in that in that aspect, then we should probably reach out to folks who influence our customers yeah. and partner with them, right? The, the, but the, not mega influencers because they are not seen as authentic anymore. Um, and actually, you can blow your marketing budget very fast by going down the rabbit hole of hiring a mega influencer. I actually was just, I was doing some work with um, a large uh, supplement company, like protein powders and things like that. And they were saying they spent $750,000 last year hiring one influencer. And they didn't see even close to the return on that. So this year, they are actually spending their budget across a variety of not just micro-influencers, but nano-influencers, local nano-influencers. So these are people, micro-influencers have about 100,000 followers. Nano-influencers may even have just a couple of thousand followers, but they're super engaged followers and they're usually in a local area. And so by... They don't cost even a fraction of the amount to, you know, get get them to promote your product as as some of these larger influencers do. So you can hire dozens of <laughs> nano influencers and micro influencers for the same budget and your reach and impact goes a lot further. And it's seen as more authentic as well. Authenticity is a, a big deal to this generation as a whole, just because like you said, they've been bombarded by information every day. It's, it's more, more, more new, new, new stuff. And when they see something that 
feels real and authentic. It just, they, they love it. It's a way for them to filter through information, right? Yeah, they, and I they... think a lot of the authenticity these days, at least for the for the US-based folks that I've interviewed, has been authenticity means familiarity. So uh, local nano-influencers have a, are, they feel like they're much more authentic because they're saying, oh, I ate at this restaurant. And they're like, oh, I've been to that restaurant. Or they're saying, oh, I, I, I'm on this street right now shopping or something like that. And they're like, oh, I know where they are. Um, so they, it, it feels more real because it's relatable. We've come full circle in a sense in the last few decades with technology where in the past, without the internet and whatever, you were local, you were following local newspaper, local radio, and, and so you were influenced by your local. And then and the internet came in and then it started to be international, international news, international everything. And now it's coming back to local thanks to technology where you can follow, as you said, people from specific uh, area where you can go super, super niche in subreddits that are like very, very much targeted to your interest. So it's it feels like we're going back to the core psychological principle of yeah, as you said, the more authentic you find them, the more the more the more you're likely to like them, the more likely to you have to trust them, and it's yeah, it feels we're going back full circle almost. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of senses, we are. <laughs> Before I let you go, I have two questions. The first one is any other big mistake you see companies make? Uh, you mentioned two that are super interesting. Any other one that you see? I see a lot of companies going all in on sort of the do-gooder strategy. They think that Gen Z, because they're young people, they will buy products just because they support a cause. Um, Mm. Gen Z is pretty fiscally conservative. They are not cheap necessarily, but they want to know that they're getting a lot of value from, for their money. And so and they, they also like things that are more tangible, whereas millennials craved experiences. Gen Z often will, they want the experience, but they want the t-shirt too. Like they want the thing that they, some sort of thing that they can hold in their hands, some sort of physical product a lot of times. And so a lot of companies, they're going all in on this strategy, like a social strategy, a social awareness strategy or something like that. And it's not as effective as it might have been for millennials, but they just assume it is. But, and again, this boils down every time it boils down to just knowing your customers, knowing your niche, knowing you know, this might work for a very niche group of Gen Zs, but as a whole, not so much. Okay, thanks. Again, thanks so much for, for, for sharing all of this knowledge that comes from actual data and not assumptions. So it's really nice to hear all of your research and you being able to summarize it that well. Uh, what are the top three resources you'd recommend listeners right now? Could be anything. Well, of course, I've got to I've got to say my book, Instabrain, and I can tell your listeners that um, they can get a free chapter if they go to bixaresearch.com/slash/free-chapter. They'll also get a list of the different types of research methodologies that they can use specifically for Gen Z if they sign up there. I, I'd also say some other good resources, like like I said, they're really simple. Like call your customers. Really, Zoom. I use Zoom for interviews all the time, and Gen Zers are really good at that because they can do it on their phone. Um, I, I do a lot of mobile diary studies and there's a resource called DScout that is a really good piece of software to support mobile diary studies. So if you're asking people, hey, over, I, I did one study for Google News where we asked them, okay, over the course of four days, every time you check the news, record your screen and show us what you're doing. 
when you do it. So the, the, it's a really, D-Scout's a really good tool to hold those kind of videos and photos and, and kind of virtual ethnography in, in, in an era where we're not doing as much in person right now. Well, phenomenal resources. Thanks so much for mentioning all of this. And again, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.